Vincent Willem van Gogh, or Van Gogh as he is known on this side of the Atlantic, is perhaps the modern archetype of a tortured artist. This label is reasonably accurate. He was a genius, but Vincent was marked by unending battles with mental illness. His life is relatively well understood and very well documented, as are many of the sufferings contained within it. But it is in his death where mystery abounds. One afternoon, Vincent left his residence to go paint alone in a field. He returned that evening with a bullet in his stomach. For generations, his death has been ruled a suicide, despite a number of suspicious and unlikely circumstances. In fact, many pieces of evidence suggest that it was certainly not Vincent who fired that bullet. Recent research has called the suicide narrative into severe question. So severe, in fact, that we are left with an entirely new question. Who really killed Van Gogh? The first step in arriving at an answer is, however, to understand the suicide theory and to understand why history has been so ready to accept it as fact. Throughout his life, Vincent Van Gogh suffered greatly from a litany of mental conditions. His earliest struggles began at the age of 18 when he was working as an apprentice art dealer. His first relationship, or rather romantic infatuation, concluded in a great disappointment. Vincent took this disappointment quite harshly and quickly fell into a deep depression. Eventually, Van Gogh lost all interest in his job as an art dealer. This was partially motivated by a hatred for its overtly financial frequencies, as well as his own internal and ongoing depression. For several months, he remained quite gloomy and isolated before eventually turning his thoughts to religion. Vincent quickly found some amount of guidance or even salvation from his depression within the church. He pursued this hotly, diving passionately into his religious studies. The young man devoted his next four years to becoming a preacher, which he saw as his new calling in life. However, Van Gogh ultimately failed to earn a formal theology degree. Instead, he worked for the church as an evangelist in a small, impoverished mining town. There, he donated virtually all of his belongings and earnings. He was destitute by choice. Vincent's superiors saw his extreme charity as disgraceful. His poverty, they claimed, lacked the dignity required for ecclesiastical work. Van Gogh refused this thinking and continued with his charity. So, he was soon dismissed entirely by the church. Once again, he plunged into a dark depression. By his own admission, Vincent's greatest fear was that he would never find a way to meaningfully contribute to the world. In these years, it seemed like this fear was being very much realized. Vincent abandoned his religious ideals altogether and at the age of 27 began passionately pursuing a career as an artist. By all accounts, this was a failing enterprise, kept afloat only by the moral and financial support of his brother Theo, who was an art dealer in Paris. During these years, Van Gogh experienced another failed romance. Following this, he lived with a local prostitute and her children for over a year. His family alienated him for this decision, and Vincent's father threatened to put him into an asylum. In response, Vincent returned to live with his parents. In 1885, his father died suddenly, but Van Gogh's dedication to artistic practice only strengthened. Vincent was passionate and dedicated. He was single-minded in his pursuit of artistic achievement, perhaps to a fault. 
Despite never having received formal training or even showing significant artistic promise, Vincent's creative output was astounding. Virtually all that he did was paint and sketch. He produced hundreds and hundreds of works in just a few years. But for all of his tenacity, Vincent had very little to show for himself. So after six years of essentially an ever-failing art career, Van Gogh joined his brother Theo in Paris. This was not in the interest of giving up, quite the opposite. Paris seemed like the place to be for an ambitious artist. Yet it was in Paris where Vincent's mental illness manifested with a viciousness he had never experienced. In Paris, Van Gogh had developed a strong fondness for absinthe, which at the time had significant convulsant properties. Today, historians think Vincent's alcoholism could have exacerbated some already present mental illnesses. In Paris, Van Gogh suffered from violent episodes of psychological terror, intense physical pains, and regular lapses of consciousness. He was quarrelsome. Vincent kept Theo awake through long nights with endless arguments about, basically, minutia. His mental afflictions meant Vincent was also quick to anger, so he was unwelcome in a number of homes and restaurants around the city. Theo felt his brother a burden, but he remained sympathetic. Theo said in a letter about Vincent, It seems as if he were two persons, one marvelously gifted, tender, and refined, the other egotistic and hard-hearted. They present themselves in turn so that one hears him talk first in one way and then in the other and always with arguments on both sides. It is a pity that he is his own enemy, for he makes life hard not only for others, but also for himself. It is hard to overstate the importance the two brothers placed on one another and on their relationship. It's not always an easy relationship, but Theo supported Van Gogh wholeheartedly in his work and his life. Theo sympathized with Van Gogh's struggles. He recognized that Vincent was beholden to demons no one could truly understand, and at the time, that no one really cared much about. In 1888, Theo thought that Paris was getting the better of Vincent, and so he set up a studio in the south of France in a town called Arles for his brother. Theo convinced the artist Gauguin to join Vincent there to live and work, likely thinking his brother could use a stable and positive influence around him. In Arles, Van Gogh produced some of the most intense paintings of his life. It was also there his mental illness reached psychotic dimensions. Vincent abused cognac and absinthe like never before. His mood swung wildly. He oscillated between manic creativity and listless exhaustion, between euphoria and anguish. In his most heightened emotional states on either side of this spectrum, Van Gogh would throw himself completely into his work. Painting was more or less his only treatment. As only the most unfortunate sufferers are, Van Gogh was well aware of his own degrading sanity. He wrote in a letter, I am unable to describe exactly what is the matter with me. Now and then there are horrible fits of anxiety, apparently without cause, or otherwise a feeling of emptiness and fatigue in the head and at times I have attacks of melancholy and of atrocious remorse. In Arles, Gauguin was quickly reaching his limits with Vincent. After two months of constant arguing with Van Gogh, Gauguin decided to leave. On Christmas Eve of 1888, Vincent threw a glass of absinthe in Gauguin's face. Van Gogh was escorted home and put to bed by a companion. 
Later in the evening, Gauguin left the house again. Van Gogh followed him and attacked the artist with a razor. Gauguin was able to repel Vincent and Van Gogh went back to their home. At the house, he cut off a piece of his left earlobe, presented it to his then favorite prostitute. Police were alerted and they found Van Gogh unconscious at his house. Van Gogh was hospitalized where he fell into a psychotic state of agitation, hallucination, and delusion. Vincent was put into solitary confinement for three days. After these days, he retained no memory of the attack on Gauguin or the self-mutilation. Today, some scholars believe Van Gogh had been experiencing auditory hallucinations which commanded him to attack Gauguin and then cut off his own ear. Van Gogh remained hospitalized for several weeks. During this time, he continued to experience a series of psychotic episodes, delusions, and further hallucinations. In April of 1890, Van Gogh experienced the worst psychotic break of his life. He described horrifying religious hallucinations and had intense, violent impulses. For some time, Vincent simply was not of this world. However, less than a month later, his physician declared him cured and discharged Van Gogh from the hospital. There was, and is, very little evidence to suggest that Vincent was even remotely suitable for release. Van Gogh moved north of Paris to Avre-sur-Oise, where he would spend the final ten weeks of his life. In this town, Vincent stayed at the relatively quiet Ravu Inn. There, things seemed to move in a positive direction. He abstained from drinking and remained free from seizures and psychotic episodes. His art was beginning to gain recognition. Vincent had even sold a painting. Van Gogh worked at an intense pace, producing 100 works in just 70 days. At the end, Vincent enjoyed time alone in the nearby wheat fields. There, he would create some of his most incredible landscape work and seemingly experience something quite close to peace. For the first time, perhaps ever, it seemed Vincent had found respite from his pain. On Sunday, July 27th, Vincent left the inn after lunch to go paint in those same wheat fields. That evening, he returned to the Ravu Inn. The innkeeper, Gustav, saw Van Gogh approach on the dark street. However, he did not carry with him his easel or canvas, nor his paints. Vincent was holding his stomach and limping weakly. Van Gogh passed by Gustav without a word. This was uncharacteristic of the artist. The innkeeper was worried about Vincent's behavior, so Gustav listened from the bottom of the stairs that led to the artist's attic room. After hearing loud, pained moaning, Gustav climbed the stairs and found Vincent curled up weakly on his bed. Gustav asked what was wrong, to which Vincent replied only, I have wounded myself. For two days, Van Gogh received treatment at the inn, but he was slowly and painfully dying. At midnight on July 29th, Vincent was cradled in his brother's arms. Theo was, and had always been, Vincent's only true friend. He was the one man who had escorted Vincent through his sufferings with kindness and sympathy. As Vincent lied dying in his brother's arms, Theo still did not let go. And so Vincent spoke his final words. I want to die like this. For 30 minutes, Van Gogh sat with his mouth agape, gasping for air as the wound sucked the final moments of life from his body. 
He was limp in Theo's arms. Shortly after 1 a.m., with his mouth open and his eyes wide, Van Gogh's heart stopped. The following day, Theo wrote to their mother. Life was such a burden to him. He has found the rest he longed for. These are the events that we know happened. The typical line of thought, of conclusion, and even of Vincent's own words was a self-inflicted gunshot. For ages, this was believed to be true. But now, it seems significantly less likely. Nobody knows what happened in the field where Van Gogh painted on July 27th. The police briefly investigated but produced no witnesses to Vincent's activities on the day. No one could ever figure out exactly where or when the incident occurred. No one in the small village heard a gunshot that day. Vincent's easel, paints, and canvas were never found. The gun likewise disappeared. When he was found by the innkeeper, Van Gogh demanded medical attention himself. A doctor was summoned, and Vincent gave no explanation for where he had gotten a gun or why he had wanted to kill himself. When the police asked Vincent if he had shot himself, he responded only, Yes, I believe so. They reminded him that suicide was a crime, and with an unprompted intensity, Vincent declared, I acted alone. Do not accuse anyone. One of the innkeepers later assembled the following story, based on Vincent's words and conversations overheard at his bedside. During the afternoon, in the deep path that lies along the wall of the chateau, Vincent shot himself and fainted. The coolness of the night revived him. On all fours, he looked for the gun to finish himself off, but he could not find it. Vincent then got up and climbed down the hillside to return to our house. This answers very few of the questions surrounding his death, questions which today remain unanswered. How could the gun have fallen so far from his hands that he couldn't find it? Why didn't anyone else find the gun, that day or the next? What about the missing easel, canvas, and paints? When Vincent arrived at the inn, he was not dripping blood along his path, nor were there signs of blood on his clothes. How could Vincent have laid, allegedly, with a gunshot wound for several hours and produced so little blood? There was a steep wooden slope between the inn and the fields. It would have taken significant physical effort to walk on this slope. If Vincent was wounded and barely conscious, surely he wouldn't have been able to make this journey. Furthermore, where and when did Vincent get a gun? Why did he shoot himself? If Van Gogh had meant to shoot himself in the heart, he had missed wildly. Based on his wound, the barrel of the gun had been held below his heart and pointed downward. A group of researchers actually recreated the gunshot and found a number of problems, but we'll talk about those in great detail later. In fairness, Vincent had thought about suicide before. Indeed, he had threatened it outright many years prior. But his conclusions were always, invariably, against the idea. Time and time again, he categorized suicide as weak and terrible. Vincent believed suicide to be a crime against art itself. This is significant because Vincent had passionately, obsessively dedicated his life to art. In one letter, Vincent described himself as someone who has come too close to suicide to ever really do it. I am trying to recover, he wrote, like someone who is meant to commit suicide but then makes for the bank because he finds the water too cold. It's worth noting that every time the idea of suicide came into Vincent's mind, 
it approached in the same form, drowning. Every time he had thought of the act, he had threatened drowning. This happened time and time again, even once saying the only type of suicide he could understand was drowning. There was a river near the inn. Surely if Vincent had resolved to suicide, he would have drowned himself in that river. There was also a serious lack of preparation for death on the part of Vincent. His final letters to Theo had been boisterous. He had written plans for the future, including a request for more paint. His last paintings were vibrant depictions of country life. Vincent was obsessed his whole life with writing letters. He spent much of his time expressing his every action in writing, but there was no suicide note in his room. There also exists a litany of problems with the gun itself. It's said that Vincent shot himself with a revolver. At the time, a revolver was still a novelty in the south of France. It would have been worth a significant amount of money. It was not a gun that someone would simply lend away. Indeed, no one in the town recalled seeing Vincent with a gun, and no stores or individuals admitted to selling or giving him the weapon. In later years, claims arose about Vincent borrowing a gun to, quote, scare away crows, or that he had threatened townspeople with a similar gun, or still that he himself had owned the revolver through his whole life. But these are baseless claims. There's absolutely no evidence that any of these things are true. In the days following the incident, locals inventoried every gun, and one was indeed missing. Years later, its owner would claim that Vincent had stolen the gun. But this was never verified in any meaningful way. It's simply a rumor. Furthermore, when the doctor arrived at the inn, Vincent seemed to have no interest in dying. Rather, he screamed and begged for someone to remove the bullet from his body. He desperately wanted surgery. Van Gogh could have been transported to war-trained surgeons 20 miles away in Paris to get medical attention, surgeons who likely would have saved his life. Instead, Vincent's doctor, a Dr. Gachet, refused to perform surgery. Instead, he let Vincent lie in bed, in agony, dying for 30 hours. Moving Van Gogh would have come with risks, but Vincent was dying. The worst outcome of moving him was the same as the already accepted outcome. Yet, he remained in place. While this hints more towards medical negligence than homicide, it is a detail that further obfuscates Vincent's death. There was a story that persisted around town, long after Vincent died. The story claimed two young boys had accidentally shot Vincent while playing with a gun. The boys had never come forward because they feared being accused of murder. The conclusion was, therefore, that Van Gogh had protected them in his final act. This would have expressed a sort of generosity that Vincent had indeed displayed throughout his life. This is, of course, just another rumor and should be taken with a grain of salt, but it would answer more questions than the theory of suicide. Admittedly, though, all of this is just conjecture and circumstantial evidence. Nothing I've said entirely rules out suicide. But that is where we arrive at the topic of modern forensics. In 2020, a group of researchers published a study on the death of Vincent van Gogh. In this study, the researchers examined all surviving evidence, circumstantial and physical. They also recreated the gunshot that killed van Gogh. Working alongside a medical staff, the researchers came to this conclusion. It is therefore our opinion 
based on that limited information that in all medical probability, the cause of death is not a self-inflicted wound by Vincent van Gogh, and thus in all medical probability, a homicide. By his attending physician, Van Gogh's wound was noted to be pea-sized with a red concentric margin surrounded by a bluish-brown ring. The physician did not describe any black gunpowder burns on the skin or clothing around the wound. When Van Gogh died, guns used black powder ammunition. Fired at close range, these guns left powder burns tattooed onto the flesh. If Vincent had shot himself at point-blank range, a powder burn would have been virtually impossible to avoid. You could argue that the physician just omitted the mention of a powder burn at his own discretion. But the examination of powder burns was an essential technique used by police and doctors of Van Gogh's era. If such a burn had existed on Van Gogh, it would have absolutely been recorded. The lack of a powder burn alone makes it extremely unlikely that Van Gogh could have shot himself. In fact, the policeman who examined Vincent's wound personally concluded that the artist was shot from one to two feet away. But in response, Van Gogh claimed that he shot himself, and so the record reflected his words. In 1960, a French farmer found an old rusted and bent revolver in a wheat field outside of the town where Vincent had died. It was an era-appropriate weapon found vaguely close to the place Van Gogh Died. Despite a lack of actual evidence, experts at the Van Gogh Museum in Amsterdam considered it likely to be the gun Vincent used. So the researchers in the 2020 study procured that same gun to recreate Van Gogh's wound. They fired the gun into FBI-grade ballistics gel from a variety of distances. The gel was also covered in cotton fabric to simulate the clothing Van Gogh would have been wearing. As expected, the point-blank firing produced a significant powder burn. 6, 12, and 18-inch distances produced decreasingly present burns, with the burn disappearing entirely at 12 inches. So, based on the absence of the powder burn, Van Gogh must have been shot at a distance of at least 12 inches. A person could hold a gun from that distance and shoot themselves. The researchers thus explored this possibility, but quickly eliminated it. Based on the records of Van Gogh's examining physician, the researchers had a good understanding of the bullet's trajectory as it moved through Vincent's body. To create this trajectory and fire the gun from 12 inches away, Vincent would have had to contort his body in a way that was virtually impossible. Put quite simply, given the gun and a will to suicide, Vincent could not have produced the wound that killed him. The unfortunate reality is that none of this proves anything, and nor will it ever. We will always know that Van Gogh died of a gunshot wound, but we will never know who fired that gun. The circumstantial doubts about Van Gogh's death are just that, circumstantial. These unanswered questions cast immense doubt on the idea of suicide, but do not eliminate it entirely. They could all be answered with some varying stretches of the imagination. The forensic study likewise has problems. By the researcher's own admittance, there is only so much evidence available for a 150-year-old case. Most of the facts are eyewitness reports or first-hand accounts that have likely been manipulated by time. 
To get more substantial information, the body of Van Gogh would need to be exhumed, and even then, it's unlikely there would be any true final verdict. I also think that Van Gogh's history of mental illness complicates matters. If any action of his seems illogical or unlikely, that could be quite easily explained by his lifelong predisposition for acting irrationally. We can never know what happened in that field. The two options seem to be homicide or suicide. But either of these was a cruelty horrifically and uniquely tailored to Vincent himself. Modern psychologists have provided a variety of diagnoses for Vincent van Gogh. Psychosis, bipolar disorder, and schizophrenia have all been suggested. But ultimately, Vincent's afflictions meant much of his life was stolen from him. His actions and his thoughts were touched by monsters, polluted and put out of even his own reach. Vincent was rarely more than a man violently strapped into the passenger seat of his own life. In death, Vincent did not find any more agency nor peace. He was ultimately throttled and thrown into an abyss. Whether by suicide or homicide, we can only be sure that Vincent died as helplessly as he lived. Far more than our eternal unknowing, this is the true tragedy of Vincent van Gogh.